Hi friends, and welcome back to When Autumn Comes. This is Suze. I just wanted to hop on here real quick before this episode kicks off and tell you some really big news. The Apricity Hope Project, you know, the nonprofit that When Autumn Comes is part of now. The Apricity Hope Project is... Big things are happening and I'm super giddy about it. One of our programs, the Take 5 program, offers retreats to caregivers. We're starting with medical moms. Don't worry. I have heard the call and the demand for it to be dads. I'm not joking. Surprisingly, everybody's really excited about us getting dad retreats, but we're starting with the moms. Y'all, our application process is open. Get on the list for retreats. And the big news with this is that I have talked to my board and we are moving forward with the idea of getting the Apricity Hope House a house y'all we're going to have our own house it is hopefully fingers crossed we're signing the lease very soon based in norfolk virginia and if it's the the vision that we're hoping for it is waterfront it's really exciting we have our bring hope home campaign going on though because in order to make this happen in order to keep the lights on and keep caregivers coming and have a safe place for all of us to gather we need funding Um, That was my phone. That was not yours. Sorry, I forgot to turn my phone off. And there goes my dog. This was supposed to be a quick announcement, and now it's chaos, as per our usual. Anyway, www.apricityhope.org. You can sign up to get on our wait list for retreats, and you can also help support us with our Bring Hope Home campaign. If you could give $5, $10, $1,000, You can give monthly, you can give once. I have it set up so that y'all, our listeners, our amazing, amazing community can help us keep the lights on so that we can continue to love and care for caregivers just like you. Now onto the show. Remember how last week I told you you meet that Instagram friend and you connect over the things you have in common? Well, We divided that conversation in half, so if you missed part one, go back and listen to that. This is part two of my conversation with Jessica, and today we're kind of breaking down all the different types of grief that we have felt. And let's be real, it's not all the different types of grief because you know there are a million types of grief, and we probably feel most of them in like, I don't know, a 24 to 36 hour period. Today, she and I are connecting over the types of grief that we both had and continue to have as medical moms and bereaved medical moms. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as the darker days and colder temperatures begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, help you learn and help you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. 
What On Up Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. We are back with Jessica, and I have you saved as Jess in my phone. Is it Jess or Jessica? Because it could just well, be me. It's actually, I. since we're friends, it's Jesse. <laughs> Okay, then <laughs> it's neither. You can call me whatever you want. I'll respond to all, but but really, I'm I feel like I'm Jesse. Okay, sounds good. Well, Jesse is back, but for the rest of you, you can call her Jessica. One of the things that you and I kind of talked about briefly through Instagram chat when we became friends was grief, because you know we both have watched our girls and Benji. We can't forget Benji progress in a disease. And Dahlia and Lorelai have passed. You know, I bet they're best friends. Like, they have the coolest I, names. And I, I bet, you know, I can just imagine, like, oh, I just got chills. Like, the two of them are here with us right now. Like, yes, mama. Yes. Like, I you know, love like that. And I just hope they're like, I just have this image of them, like, holding hands and spinning around mm-hmm. and dancing, you know, mm-hmm. really free. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lorelai, I think, really likes to wear, like, when she was here on Earth with me, she always wore, like, floofy skirts. And I know now in heaven she can twirl them because on Earth she could not twirl them. So on the other side, she spins a lot, I think. And the (laughs) listeners can't see me dancing. But so, yeah, one of the things that unfortunately, but fortunately, brought us together is grief. And... There's so many different types of grief, so many, and we can obviously probably go on for a very long time about we lost our children, that kind of grief. I remember I messaged you shortly after she had passed because I don't think you posted anything about it right away on social. And then I saw something and I was like, oh my gosh, like, she passed and I I messaged you and I was like, how are you? And then I messaged again. I said, but how are you really? Like, have you had the heart palpitations yet? Like, have you gotten to that point of this journey? And there's so much to be said about, you know, the disease is so fickle, but grief through the disease as a caregiver. I'm rambling quite a bit here, but I don't know about you. Like, I thought throughout the journey, whether it was, I always use, I always struggled with anticipatory grief. And I thought that that was going to be maybe not as bad or like, I thought it was somehow going to be the same ish as the, my daughter has passed grief. And they're like night and day. They are night and day. They're like distant, distant relatives. I remember when you reached out to me with that, and I remember I was really having these heart pains, and and you said to me, that's that's the grief. And I mean, I went to the doctor. Like, I was having heart pains, you know? And so, so first of all, I've experienced a tremendous amount of loss, and I lost both of my sisters and both of my parents before I lost my daughter, one at a time. Mm-hmm. So... I had experienced a lot of grief. I had experienced the kind of grief where I'm on the phone with my sister and an hour later I get a phone call that she dropped dead. I'd experienced cancer, which is a long drawn out 
disease, obviously. I mean, I've experienced so many different kinds of grief. But the thing that was the same about all of those, what I think of them as, is hallmark card grief, meaning all those losses you could go to the store and buy a card for. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that there's a whole other family of kinds of grief that really people don't know about. And for me, the way I learned about ambiguous grief, which was different from anticipatory grief, and we can talk about that, was not because I had an aha moment thinking like something doesn't feel right. Maybe it's a kind of grief. What happened actually was I was invited to speak on a panel about ambiguous grief. And I'm all about spreading the word about rare diseases, about mitochondrial disease. If I'm invited to something, chances are I'm going to say yes. And so I was invited to speak on a panel and I said, absolutely, I'm there. And then I looked closely at the title and I was like, I never heard of this before. <laughs> What's ambiguous grief? And I'll never forget it because I Googled it again with the Google. Mm -hmm. And it was like such an eye opener because I realized there was a name for what it was that I was going through, which is the loss of a person who's still with me. And so you know, you might experience ambiguous grief if you have somebody who's like addicted to drugs or with, with you know, Alzheimer's or some kind of, of dementia. But for me, it was really, it was really, I don't know how I feel about this word, but it was like empowering because I had prided myself on saying, I am not going to grieve my child while she's still alive. That's not fair to me and that's not fair to her. There will be time for that, but that time isn't now. And I was like really, really felt very strongly about that. And yet there was so much to grieve, right? Because mm -hmm. first of all, inch by inch by inch, she was losing functionality, right? And then we were losing the whole future we had imagined. And I mean, there was just so many things and she was changing. There was so much to grieve. And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm not going to grieve because I'm looking at my daughter. And she, you know, and then when I realized, but there are other kinds of grief. And, and that is what I'm feeling. It's a real thing. And I feel like when we are able to name something, it becomes a little bit less scary. It takes away some of the power when we can give it a name. Because then mm -hmm. we can say, ah, that's what it is. This is a thing. This is real. This is valid. This is ambiguous grief. And I, this is like textbook case of why we, why I'm feeling this way. And it, it really helped me feel okay about the feelings I was having that before were just kind of like this, you know, kind of smoky, dark thing that I couldn't, I couldn't really understand. Yeah. So I'm trying to like figure out why I've never placed that with me. As you're talking, I'm listening, but I'm also going, why didn't that like click with me as much? And I'm, is it, I'm asking, but not asking, like, is it because three weeks into Lorelai's life, we are still in the NICU and they're like, your kid has a two to five year life expectancy. So like for me, literally like three weeks in, it became anticipatory grief. Right. I think that is such a difference because anticipatory, we never had, we, we weren't given the life sentence in that mm -hmm. way. We were told, you know, 
truncated lifespan and that kind of euphemism, but we had no idea. Yeah. And so, and in fact, we had a doctor say, well, she'll, you know, kids who were the symptoms manifest this early, they can be really sick in their 20s. You know, so so it wasn't, yes, that was kind of in the background, this anticipatory yeah. grief, but I think it was the loss, the slow loss that here was a child who was running and jumping and mm-hmm. eating and talking and, you know, doing all these things who ultimately became, like I said in the last episode, totally frozen. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, we couldn't communicate with her. We didn't know it, how much of her was still in there. And, and you know, we're looking at her and she's there and she's with yeah. us, but at the same time she's not. And so I th- do think that's the difference yeah. between why I might have experienced ambiguous and you might have experienced anticipatory, even though it's the same disease and it was the same outcome. Exactly. And I think it's fair to say that we've experienced we're probably we should just give ourselves titles that we are grief experts and that oh totally <laughs> reluctant grief experts <laughs> i don't know about you but yeah as you're talking does ambiguous and i think we should add that you and i have not researched grief we are not therapists we are we are 100%. just two medical moms who are here talking about our experiences lived experience so from your experience, do you think that the – does ambiguous grief also encompass the, I thought I was going to have this life. I thought I thought I was going to be a Girl Scout leader. I thought, you know, and in my case, not to keep going back to me, but the way the show works is it's just conversations between moms. So like – yeah. In my case, I have two medical kids. I'm never going to experience, quote, normal parenthood. And Mm -hmm. so now that you're talking about ambiguous grief, I'm like, is that like part of what I'm grieving the life that I didn't get? You know, I'm I'm down a path I never saw coming. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if that's ambiguous. I might. I might Can we call make a that. new type of grief? <laughs> no, well, I think there is a title. I think that's a secondary loss because oh. when I mean that's a whole other thing, right? You have the loss of your person, mm-hmm. and then the secondary losses are the shattering of what you imagined your future would be, mm-hmm. your friend circle, often, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. your job. Some, I mean, there's a whole host. I just wrote a piece on secondary losses. We can share it. We but, can link that in the show notes. Sir. Yeah, because I do this column now with on grief for Psychology Today. And again, because of lived experience. But, you know, I do think that that is a huge, huge thing that we have to acknowledge our grief for, right? I mean, I remember the first real breakdown that I had after Dahlia's diagnosis the only way I could kind of the words that came out were, I'm never going to be able to have the kinds of girls days with her that I had always envisioned that, that I used to have mm-hmm. with my mom when I was, you know, yeah. older, when I was an adult. And we'd go to the movies and we'd go out for a glass of wine and we'd do these things. And I thought, I'm never going to have that with my daughter. And meanwhile, she was like, you know, seven at the time. Yeah. But I, <laughs> right. And so I think that is such a, an important thing to acknowledge that we grieve the life we had imagined. Well, and for me, it's funny that yours was a glass of wine out, you know, but <laughs> for me, I had a little bit of that with Lorelai. But then when I was pregnant with Benji and we got the amnio results, I was like, I'm never going to have a beer on the dock with my kid. Mm. Like, and I don't know if 
this is going to sound terrible, but I don't know if he was like my last hope of having mm. a typical child, you know, like, yeah, he was not that there, no pressure, Benji, no pressure, but right. like, you know, like, Benji. I mean, and we said before, like, we got the children we were supposed to have and I would not oh, yeah. change my child for anything. I would change the disease, but I would not change the people, their souls. I would not change these sweet little hundred percent, but you know, we, we, we knew with Benji that there was a 25% chance of us having a second child with a disability and this awful disease. And when I found out that he had it, it was like, okay, that was it. Like we're like things shattered with Lorelai, but then they reshattered again at that moment. Like, it's just not going to happen. That typical white picket fence is just not going to happen. And that was like that validating phone call of like, this is it. So what helped you as a mom who is facing, you know, I want to be like, you were just facing different types of grief, but you're also keeping your tiny human alive and you're taking care of your sons and you're doing all the things. And how did you handle grief in the moment? It's such a good question. And it's interesting because I think when you're going through it, it is impossible to fully appreciate the intensity. And what I mean by that is every single solitary second, you're on the precipice. You can't live that way. There's too many things to be taken care of in the moment to be acknowledging that. And It wasn't until after Dahlia passed away, and it was pretty quick after she passed away, that I started to fully appreciate how intense it was, what other people saw when they saw our lives, because I couldn't look up when I was in it. I had to just look down, look at what the next thing was. And, you know, what happened was Dahlia's room, as you, I'm sure, know well, was essentially an ICU room, right? And I know that once in a while when we'd let somebody come and be in in the room, I know that's what they saw and they found it really off-putting. I never saw that. I saw Dahlia because that's all I noticed when we were in the room was Dahlia. And when Dahlia was gone and I went back into the room and I saw all of the equipment, I mean, the supplies, the everything, it was like, Whoa, it totally struck me, you know? So I think a yeah. lot of the a lot of the grieving, it was impossible to to fully, you know, you you just you can't live that way and be parenting and be trying to give your kid a life of joy if you're grieving. That's not to say you should ignore the feelings, right? Because as we were just talking about, you're having these feelings, you should acknowledge them, you should name them if you can. But it's just like that weird balance. Mhm. Acknowledge name and I like to say validate too because they are very, very real feelings that exist for a reason. And I always struggle because I'm like when I do start to validate and acknowledge and name, then I go into that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Mm. And as medical mom in the in the trenches – you don't have time to fight, flight, or freeze. Like, 
that's not an option. So you just keep running and taking care of your child. And for me, that anticipatory grief for me was always like lurking. And I remember before she passed, my therapist was like, you need to go like outside by yourself and just cry. Like you Mm. need to just let some of this out because you, and I was like, I don't have time. Like I don't have time to go cry. She was like five minutes, set a timer and just go. And I was like, I don't have time. And I said, and then I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pull it back together when five minutes is up. Right. I totally relate to that. It's like if I start to like let it out, it's just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And you cannot. You have to do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So did you go into the – did you go outside and set the alarm? No. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I I will say I have had – since she passed, I've cried more in the last – it's been 19 months for me. It's been 19 months as a – 19 months in a week and her seventh birthday when we're recording this, her seventh birthday is in three days. Mm. And like – so speaking of grief, and this is just a conversation, but last week, Benji had a sleep study and it went really, really poorly. He is my sensory kid. He does not like, he. it's not even does not like, he loathes water. He loathes having things mm. touching him and stickers and like Lorelai was not like that oh at gosh. all. So this is a whole different realm for me and to do a sleep study you know they put stickers all over his head and they tie all these things and around his abdomen and it did not go well and I was like yelling at him like Benji they're gonna kick us out they're gonna call CPS on me and they're gonna kick us out because (laughs) you have to sleep or we have to do this again and I felt like I went to war that night like I felt like I didn't sleep at all. And then when I finally did finally fall asleep, I wake up to the technician going, so he ripped all the sensors off and we are going Mm. to dismiss you guys at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, God. So then I got home. I was exhausted. On the car ride home, I was like, I'll share this. I was like, the smell, the smell of the stickers, the smell of the wipes. He smelled like Lorelai before she passed. And we haven't gotten to that point with Benji yet. And so that was on a Monday. And I went maybe a day or so of like trying to adjust back into being home and nobody slept. And, and then I spiraled. Over the last seven days, because today is like Monday that we're recording. So it's been a week. I think I cried for 72 straight hours. Um, wow. Because it's like it just welled all of this shit up inside of me. And I'm like, what do I do with this? And I'm in trauma therapy right now. I'm doing EMDR therapy because goodness knows <laughs> we've got trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but how did you feel after that 72 hours of, of crying? I wonder if you felt – I don't know. How really, did it feel? You really want to – okay. So <laughs> we may have to turn this into a 4 a.m. mom club bonus content. But <laughs> so we'll just do this as my therapy session for the week. So <laughs> I cried and cried and cried. I felt 
incredibly I still feel incredibly depleted meanwhile I'm still taking care of Benji and you know doing all the things and yesterday was Sunday my sister was like we had this plan for a long time and I almost canceled her but I was like no I have to get out of the house like I work from home I'm here all the time like I haven't left since I got home from the sleep study and we were going to a glass blowing class we're gonna do glass blowing okay we need to talk about that well wait here's here I might ruin it for you right now well, I don't know your situation, but we had a whole day planned. We were going to do Galentine's Day sister style and, you know, go to a coffee shop and things like that. And again, I'm super locked down still because of COVID. So it's all terrifying leaving my house. COVID germs, etc. Lorelai passed from a head cold. So we don't screw around with anything because of Benji. Anyway, I pull myself together and I leave and... We get there and it was my turn to go up to make my little glass heart and the instructor's talking to me. It's like a one-on-one thing and he's like, okay, so now we're going to slide over to this, this furnace and he slides open the door and I don't remember anything that he said after that because I could only envision Lorelai's cremation and I don't remember. My sister came up to me and she's like, are you okay? I was like... In hindsight, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the instructor thought I was on drugs because I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, now give me your hand then. And he's like putting my hand on the thing oh, to twirl God. the hot. Did your sister get you out of there? She was in her own little thing with her own little person. So at the end, like when I finished my heart, which I dropped and the girl goes, no broken heart here. Don't worry. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so Leslie then looks at me after I'm like walking away. She's like, are you OK? And I was like. No. And I think, you know, at some point in my journey, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Like, let's just keep going. But I knew after the week I had had and all of that that had just happened, I was like, no, I'm not okay. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, the furnace. I can't look at the furnace. And she was like, oh, no. She's like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, I didn't either. And she starts apologizing. I'm like, it's not your fault. This is just how grief works. It hits you in weird ways. And this was not what we were going to talk about today. (laughs) Oh, God. But it was just, I, I hope that many people listening to this cannot resonate with this story at all. But I know that whether it's anticipatory grief or ambiguous grief or... My kid passed away grief. There are things that trigger us in very weird ways. I was on the train after my sister died, and I was on my commuter rail to work. And I'll never forget it because a guy on the train had a seizure. My sister didn't have a seizure. But something about watching this guy in a public place where my sister had been when she dropped dead struck me in such a a, a raw, visceral way that I became hysterical. Absolutely 100%. And I'm on this train and now strangers are comforting me. This poor guy over there is having a seizure. (laughs) And I don't know what happened to him, but people were coming in and comforting me because again, it was was that trigger. I mean, I was out of my head. Mm -hmm. I was just hysterical, right? And it was not something you could ever, like here you thought you were going on this lovely outing to this crafts place, going to make a glass Mm -hmm. heart. I was taking the commuter rail to work, you know, and it just blindsides you. 
Yeah. And I'm grateful I was with somebody that I could be like, hey, this is what's happening. And that she responded okay to it. Because, you know, some of my friends, some of my family would probably be like, let me fix this. And there's no Uh fixing it. Like, there's no... There's no fixing this. And I was just very grateful that my sister was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think that is definitely something I've learned along the way because I am so much personally more comfortable in the fix-it mode. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, we're going to solve this. Like I said, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about the study, we're going to fix it. We're yeah. going to find the cure. We're going to do the and, – and there's no fixing this kind of stuff that we no. have and are experiencing. And – and so acknowledging, validating, sitting in it, sitting in this discomfort. And I think that is really, really, really not only hard, but not intuitive, right? For those of us who are who feel like, okay, well, we'll just make our list and we'll fix it and we'll problem solve. And 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 when you yeah. can't do that, it's like a whole other way of learning to be. Yeah. No, and I was not this person before. Mm. I was I was a wedding planner. Like by trade, oh, I wow. was an event planner and I planned. I was so good at planning, people paid me to plan for them. And then I get thrown into this life where you can't plan anything. You can't you can't plan for next week. You can't plan for today. Like I don't know what's going to happen this evening. You know, mm. and now being halfway on the flip side of the mito journey i'm realizing that i can't plan how my emotions are going to go with grief you know and whether that means when you're here as a medical mom living the day to day and you see two kids playing so- like i remember walking through my neighborhood and seeing a little boy and a little girl sibling playing basketball in the backyard oh, you God, know it's the and worst. like to give yourself grace in that moment and go, that's what I didn't get. Like, I'm okay to feel like it's okay to feel. That's what our kids didn't get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what our kids didn't get. Mm -hmm. So hard. Yep. I wish I could like end on a like super positive note, but I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here, I'll give you something positive. The, The thing that's positive is being able to have a conversation like this. I mean, it just to, to be able to talk to somebody who so gets it. And that you're sharing the stories of people and creating this community for other people who are living it, who have yeah. lived it. You know, that's a real gift. So, And I think to be a listener, like if I was listening to this conversation, if I was a fly on the wall listening in, <laughs> I, I would feel seen. I think that validates what you're feeling. You know, like if you're listening to us ramble about grief of all sorts, it's okay to not be okay in these moments. And it's okay to feel all the feels because goodness knows there are a lot of feels in this journey. (laughs) So many. So, you know, we asked you a question last week that you went on a tangent and you went rogue with it. I did go rogue. I did. (laughs) So what gives me hope? Yes. I think one of the things that gives me hope is making connections, you know, and being able to talk to people and that together we're kind of figuring this stuff out and and there are no answers and there's no right and wrong and, and that's really, really hard. And so I think being able to talk it through and process it and talk to people who get it. Yeah. It's one thing that gives me hope. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And we're going to have in your show notes, give us a quick blurb again about your podcast because I'm so excited about it. So I would be so happy if people want to check out my podcast, which is brand new. It's called I Don't Know How You Do It. And it's not just rare disease. It's it's like, yeah, let's be really clear about that. The, the unifying It is not theme this show. My... <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes it is not hard to end those episodes on an up note because I talk to a range of people, a lot of people who have been dealt circumstances like us that people look at from the outside and say, I don't know how you do it, but a lot of people who have chosen really unconventional paths. And so what has driven them to do that? And, you know, what are the what are the tools and trips and what are the tools and tips and strategies that get them through whether or not it's something you've signed up for? Because a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do sign up for things that other people look at and say, I don't know how you do it. So that's what the show's all about. And we're a few episodes in and I'm really having a great time with it. So check it out. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Are we all now rushing to our favorite podcast platform? And you're already there. You're listening to me. Now that you're already listening to podcasts, don't hit stop yet on this one. Flip over though and go add her show to your list. All of the contact information on how you can follow her and her podcast and her writing and her story is all in the show notes. So hop over there and yeah, I think that's all I got. This is Suze and if I'm being quite honest, I recorded this exit uh, like a month after the interview. So this is Suze and I'm going to go save this outro and send it to my friend who's going to do the editing. I know, I know, not very exciting, but it's crunch time here, y'all. It's crunch time. Stay hopeful and I'll catch you next time.